Welcome to episode 32 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my good friend, my colleague, and the man who practiced social distancing well before the CDC ever recommended it. That's right. John Sloat. Yeah. Expert social distancer. <laughs> that's that's my official title here at the college and seminary. Um, Doc, we've got a potentially fiery episode. I'm salty. I'm, yeah. I'm, I am already salty. Well, well, why don't you run us through our intro warm-up things, and then we can get into what's what, what has you on the brink of tears. Yeah, well, tears, rage, you name it. So uh, we certainly want to uh, welcome those of you who have recently joined us on the podcast. And if you want to connect with us, you can uh, connect with us on Twitter, at Pod. We have an email address, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com, and a Facebook page where you can connect with us also. And uh, just a reminder, we are coming down to the end of the uh, open window for questions for our Q&A episode that I think we're probably going to do in a couple weeks, I think. We, I think. I think we have enough questions to get there. Yeah, we have a... Uh, We'll discuss that maybe in one of our high-level meetings that yeah. we have regularly. Yeah. When we when we fly to Dallas and meet at Jerry Jones's house, yeah, and, absolutely, and figure things out. Absolutely. So, um, one thing that you can do to help us out is to uh, go ahead and leave both a review and a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you uh, get your podcasts. If there's that feature available, and we've now gone almost two weeks. Without yeah. a review, it's getting cold. You know, yes. it's it's, yes. it's getting scary. So I think our last one was by Steph G, which we're grateful for her uh, review, and we, and we know her. Yes, and we we want you to be like Steph G, and that's and, right, and, and leave a review. So have I have I covered our our initial basis here? Are, are we ready to just launch in, or is there anything else that I need to touch on here? Um, I think I think we're good. You ready to talk about <laughs> uh, uh, your beloved college football? Uh, yeah, where do we even begin? Um, why don't you run us through um, the last seven days? Yeah, so about a week ago, the Power Five conferences announced uh, their modified schedules. So the Big Ten released their 10-game conference schedule, and um, the SEC announced uh, their schedule as well. Big Ten was going to start like first weekend in September. SEC was going to wait until like end of September to start Okay. They had announced um, the dates of conference championship games and, and, and those kinds of things. And teams had begun to uh, – were, were allowed to practice without pads. And so every indication was – The season was a go. The season was going to be at least attempted. We're, we're going sure. to make a go of this. Kind of like baseball. All the protocols were in place, the testing, the all, all those kinds of things. And then this past weekend, suddenly news began to leak that uh, college football was in serious trouble in terms of canceling the season. And one of the first dominoes was the MAC, the Mid-American Conference. Maction. Hey, I graduated from a Mac school, so I, I'm I'm intimately familiar with well, Mac football. And they're they're famous for I believe they do games on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Later in the season, especially, yes. And and they get national 
coverage because there's just no football, right? <laughs> on those, on you know, all the football is shoved to to uh, Saturday and Sunday, but Maction gets covered. Whoever came up with that, brilliant, brilliant, yes. And th- there's always the irony of you see these games in you know November where you know the MAC is a is a Midwestern conference, and so it's cold. There's some of these games you think. Are there a thousand people in that stadium right now? I don't think so. Maybe, but yeah. maybe not. And yet, here it is on ESPN two on a Tuesday night in mid-November because of the thirst for football. Yeah, and and people love it. People yeah. love. I, I hear it on national radio all the time. You know, yeah. they love their action. And you know, the Mac has become also well known for the fact that most of their schools schedule Power Five conference opponents. Mm-hmm. From the Big Ten, even the SEC, like Kent State this year, <laughs> they were supposed to play. I think it was Alabama, Penn State, and there was another Power Five conference game that they were supposed to play on the road. They may have had the toughest schedule in the country. Maybe. <laughs> the toughest non-conference yeah. schedule. And uh, all for the money. So basically these Power Five schools— they pay these MAC schools and schools comparable in other conferences. Sure. Anywhere between a million to $1.5 million to come in and to get their brains beaten out on the football field so that these MAC schools can fund their athletic departments. That, that's the basically the deal that's been made between the Power Five conferences and, and these schools where it's like, yeah, you'll come in. We'll beat the snot out of you. <laughs> And um, we'll give you a million dollars. And that works out 99% of the time <laughs> for the Power Five schools. Yes. Yeah. There, though, I, 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 there was an example of um, the team up north. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that, who I'm thinking of as well. Yeah. Against Appalachia that, State. That paid Appalachian State yeah. to come in. I think this was in 2006. And now Appalachian State at the time was an FCS school. So the, the division below Division One, Power Five, and and those kind of schools. But they were they were the best, right? They were they were one of the top schools. They were. And Appalachian State beat them. Yeah. And so they paid them like a million dollars to come in and lose. <laughs> so it's one thing to pay a million dollars for a win. It's sure. another thing to pay a million dollars for a loss. In any case, so over the weekend, the MAC announced we're canceling. And then I think it was maybe yesterday or the day before the Mountain West has announced they're canceling. And all these sources began to leak that the Big Ten had official, had voted the president. The presidents the had Big gotten Ten together on a video call. Had voted to cancel the season but had not announced it yet. And all Hades broke loose yeah, when tw- that was reported. Yeah, Twitter erupted. Yes. You had— uh, prominent coaches, players, all going on the march in terms of social media blitz. We hashtag we want to play. You had uh, the top the top two quarterbacks in college football, Trevor Lawrence and Justin yeah, I was, Fields. I was about to say, I know Trevor Lawrence was a part of this. As a that part of the were protest. Ba- were not only making these social media appeals, but they were also essentially saying, "We as college football players need to unite." We need to organize something so we have a more uh, powerful voice in these kinds of decisions because, quite frankly, we're being left out. Yeah, that's union talk right there. It is union talk, yes. So in any case, then you had 
coaches, Big Ten coaches, coming out and making statements like Ryan Day from Ohio State essentially saying, we're going to fight with everything we've got. This is not over yet. And it appears to have at least slowed the momentum Mm -hmm. because all the indications were that by today, Tuesday, August 11th, the Big Ten would announce we're canceling our season. Now that has changed. The Big Ten, I think, has more or less said, we're not going to announce anything today. So they've at least put some breaks on this. And of course, for now, for now, the Pac-12, there are rumors that that they're going to announce today they're canceling. Now, Dr. Harmon, <laughs> what would what would cause a organization, you know, to release their modified schedule for a pandemic at one point five days ago and then change it and vote to cancel five days later? Potentially, uh, as uh, allegedly, you know, like we we weren't there, we don't know. Yes, but but allegedly, yes. I can summarize that in one word: liability. Yeah, liability. At the end of the day, it's liability because these college presidents are looking at um, what's being presented to them from both lawyers. And from and from medical experts, mm-hmm. and from from what I can see, it seems like the the big piece that changed everything was an initial report that there is some evidence. Now, again, it's like four or five athletes, so it's anecdotal. It's not any sort of scientifically peer reviewed evidence kind of stuff that. Athletes who get the coronavirus are in greater danger of some sort of heart condition that can be, um, you know, obviously very concerning. So we're talking a handful of athletes that maybe they can link this uh, increased risk for heart condition to the coronavirus. And that has these college presidents terrified of the lawsuits. Studies that come out like that, I think I immediately go, we need more evidence. We need more data. We need more understanding of how this works. Because, frankly, you know, I, you know, I was joking yesterday. I was like, goodness, I wish coronavirus would make my snot purple so that I knew whether I had it. Or, you know, yeah. there's just not enough evidence out there to, to really get a definitive scientific statement down to say, this is what it is. And so yes. when, when you come out and say something like that, it feels, it feels a little fear-mongering. And, Absolutely. And uh, it feels a little fear-mongering, and it's not nece- it's being presented as scientific, but it's not necessarily scientific. Correct. It has science elements, and it's yes a potential hypothesis. But it seems like they're putting a hypothesis out as fact. Yes. Um. Which is, yeah, I I don't think a great reason to cancel the college football season. I think we're in the midst of hysteria at the moment, yes. and have been for the last six months. And I think yes. we're going to look back on this time and maybe go. Maybe this wasn't the best way to respond. Yeah. But in the middle of hysteria, it's hard to see that. Yes. Here is what got me so salty. You have a sport where there is 
clear, documented, scientific evidence in study after study about long-term brain trauma effects of yeah. playing football. And that has come nowhere near close to, we got to shut this whole thing down and not play. Confirmed, scientific, repeated, peer-reviewed evidence. Yeah. And that hasn't even come close to getting college football to shut down. And you have a report of maybe five to seven anecdotally based, non-scientifically demonstrated, there might be a slim chance of a raised elevation, raised heart issue here. And it's, we got to shut this whole thing down. Mm-hmm. That's insanity. Yeah. That's insanity. And the only reason for it is liability. These college presidents don't want the lawsuit. When some kid dies of a heart, a- heart attack after having corona, and then therefore all of a sudden there's the lawsuit. It's insane, John. It's insanity. Matt, take a drink of water. Let's. <laughs> I'm sitting here holding the table. It's difficult to be the only adults in the room, John. That's what I'm saying. It's difficult. Look. Just come out and be honest about it. Mm -hmm. The issue is not player safety. The issue is liability. And even though the players are like, we'll sign a waiver, we want to play. Let us sign a waiver. We have all these protocols in place. We have this testing and the social distancing and all that kind of stuff. And you won't even let us try. Mm -hmm. And I I just – I don't get it when you consider the fact that you have so many of these athletic departments that football is the funding. Yeah, what you're, was you're going to see the what? end of a number of other sports in college because the football programs at places like Ohio State and others that make millions of dollars well, subsidize the women's rowing team that that might be great but they're not making money. That's a money-losing enterprise for the institution. Well, it already happened at one school. Stanford. Um, Stanford is what I was thinking of, yeah. right? They, since they've canceled their college football, they've canceled all their other sports as well, or a, n- a number of other sports. Well, they, they cut them. Mm-hmm. In other words, they said, they're not coming back. We can't do them Whatever anymore. sport, that I can't remember the specific sports, but like, we will, not, we will not have a team again. This is not a, we're canceling because of corona. It's, we're no longer going to. Yeah offer those sports um anything else on the college football front <laughs> any um we we're kind of taking a wait and see approach because we're recording potentially expecting Tuesday an morning. announcement yeah yeah so, but we're, we're sort of in the midst of it so we'll i think that the momentum from the players and the coaches at least in the big 10 has slowed the the spread the <laughs> the rush to cancel now, I, I'm not so naive as to think that they're definitely going to be successful. But what I don't understand is with a conference like the SEC and other conferences who are saying, let's just wait and see. Like, mm-hmm. Why do we have to cancel right now? Why do we have to make this decision right now? What, what, is, the, um, what is the rush? What's the harm if we wait two more weeks, three more weeks? four more weeks 
and see what happens. What's the danger? What what are we what are we missing here? So your argument currently is that the SEC is doing it right. My argument, and that you love the SEC. Uh, no, that is, that is an incorrect <laughs> reading of my. Uh, I, I taught you to interpret things better than that. My point, though, is that in this case, the SEC has it uh, has it right in terms of the. Let's take a wait and see approach. Let's. What is the rush? You know. So, yeah. in any case, I, I, I've been a little salty in my. Uh, yeah, that, that might be exchanges with uh, you and Nate from Ohio. Yeah, that issue. that might be the first Matt Harmon rant we've had uh, on on pod. Ohio State has such an amazing team on paper coming back. Mm-hmm. I I mean, look, I was sad when they canceled March Madness. I was sad. I was disappointed when they canceled the NBA. I'm mad if they cancel college football. This is when I wish we had a video podcast because your face is so animated at the moment. Um, so anyway, um, uh, we probably should bring up your Mets, right? Yeah. Speaking of things that frustrate you, yeah, they're bad. Um, so they lost fourteen to four or sixteen to four last night. So that's all we need to say about that. Um, but I did think of something else. Did you see um, Vladimir Putin is fast tracking a? a vaccine past trials like he's doing no trials he's just giving it to the people did you see that i didn't it was the most vladimir putin thing i've seen in a while well i I think the only thing to add to that then would be a bare-chested picture of him injecting himself with it yeah on the on a on horseback yeah 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 yeah. if he did that then then we that's actually how we made the announcement (laughs) bare-chested horseback with and, a uh, massive hypodermic needle injecting it into his arm. Absolutely. In in Moscow, you know, middle of summer with, you know, an inch of snow. In, uh, in Red Square there <laughs> yes. with the Kremlin in the background. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, all right. Are we ready to transition to our secondary topic? I guess. I guess. Because this, this won't be any less infuriating, will it? Um, yeah. So this we. Is, this is Salty Doc. Yeah. Episode here. This this yeah, uh, I'll have to rein it in here. I'm I'm treading lightly. Um so uh, a few weeks ago we determined that we we wanted to do something on uh free speech and it was really yeah. it was really uh, uh, started by a number of things that began to happen mm-hmm. particularly in the news media. Mm-hmm. Um and I think we've seen it um across our country in academia as well. Um but uh there's an article by a Michelle Goldberg, um, who is a uh, is a um, very politically liberal um, columnist for the New York Times, uh, but she's she's a great writer, very very well written. Yeah. Um, and her article is entitled something to the effect of "Do progressives have have a problem with free speech, or do they have a free f- speech problem?" Yeah. Um, and in there, uh, she talks about how free speech. In uh, recent in in the recent past, going back to, to even the '90s, was a very politically liberal um, point that they that they wanted to keep. Yep. Um, well, she looks at cancel culture, and she makes a case for she doesn't like the term cancel culture, but we'll, we'll continue to use it because it's it's out there. Uh, but yeah. she talks about how we we really need this. We really need this uh, thing of free speech. And she has signed a petition in a magazine. What was the magazine? I think it's Harper's, isn't it? 
I think so. Um, about, hey, these are politically liberal people who agree with lots of things that are going on, but make an argument for free speech. Kind of coinciding with that article um, was uh, an in- individual named Andrew Sullivan. Um, and Andrew Sullivan uh, write, used to write for New York Magazine. Yep. Um, and according to him, had one of the more popular uh one of the more popular columns in New York Magazine. Um, And he was let go for budgetary reasons uh, in the midst Mm -hmm. of COVID. Yeah. Um, And and (laughs) his his interpretation of that is basically like, listen, I don't buy into the critical theory like the rest of my colleagues, and that's become a doctrine that you have to believe in in order to be a part of, um, in order to be part of the the media, um, or at least the mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, or even may- maybe mainstream media is used too much, but maybe even the uh, historic media the, the, or the institutions that are there. The New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, ABC, CBS. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So to be a part of those, you have to believe this, yeah, yeah. Set, this set of doctrine. Yep. Um, and so that's that's his understanding of that. And then you, you brought up a couple of other people um, that have uh, more diverse opinions that are in uh, the media that, that have been— that, that have left their jobs or have been asked to leave their jobs. Yeah, so um, there was a um, a reporter at the New York Times, uh, a woman named Barry Weiss. I, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. There. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with her. But um, she basically left, and uh, her reason for leaving, and she wrote a resignation letter that she made public that essentially uh, argues that the journalism – that she was taught and grew up on is no longer being practiced at the New York Times, hmm. that it's taking the turn towards advocacy, and that any pushback against the sort of prevailing orthodoxy of um, pretty like, hardcore liberal um, mindset is not welcomed and will get you uh, blackballed within I, the organization. I imagine she's talking about the 1619 project. And, That's part and, of it, but not the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. The And I think the 1619 project has some flaws, but that's not for this episode. No, it's not. <laughs> and then there was a producer at MSNBC named, uh, I think, uh, Ariana Picari, I think is how you say that, uh, who basically left and in her resignation letter uh, referred to what was happening at uh, MSNBC as a cancer within our culture, meaning that it was promoting, actively promoting division in hmm. its programming and the voices that it gives prominence to and, and things like that. And again, just to be clear, these are not conservatives in the sort of the cultural or the political sense. These are self-acknowledged liberals who are coming out and saying, this is not good because yeah. even – even though we might largely agree with your agenda, the fact that we don't fully buy into it means that we are now being, you know, pushed aside and saying, if you're not fully, you know, to use buzzwords like if you're not fully woke or if you're not fully on board with all of this, that um, it's that, fun. It's fun to hear you say woke. By the way, we we can't go there. <laughs> we can't um, go there. Yeah, I think I think I think we have two conservatives and two liberals who are saying these things, right? Yeah. Michelle Goldberg's a liberal. Um, I think the producer. What was what was her name again? 
Uh, Ariana Picari, I think is how you uh, say that. Is liberal, and Andrew Sullivan tends to lean more conservative. Correct. And I'm, I think Barry. Uh, that's her. That's the reporter from the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so there seems to be a recognition across the political spectrum, at least, that we have an issue with this. Yes. Um, so, Doc, wh- why is free speech a good thing? Um, and and I have I have some thoughts as well. Yeah. Uh, but but why don't, why don't we start with you yeah. and just see what, why is this a good thing? Why do we need it? And uh, yeah. Well, before we jump into that, though, let me just add. I think there's a, I want to add at least a couple other layers to it before we sure because I do want to get to that for sure. But of course, you also have the social media component. Sure. Where. Um, you know, given the fact that so many people in our culture, that's how they get their news mm-hmm. through Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. And now the fact that both of those companies have said, we are going to take a more proactive role in either censoring or fact checking mm-hmm. from our perspective when we see content that um, we think doesn't meet our standards, we're going to intervene. We're going to jump in and either prevent that from being shared or promoted, or at least give some sort of, hey, here's a fact check from our perspective of why this is fake news or based on wrong information or something like that. Sure. So I think that's another layer. And of course, because of your role here at Grace, you know that there's also elements of this within Google when you do a Google search of how Google... Uh, yes how Google determines when you type into your search bar some sort of uh, topic, what shows up on the first page or two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing when you have uh, these massive media uh, outlets like Twitter and Facebook that have such a disproportionate role in determining what uh, what news you see and hear, and they're suddenly taking a more active role in saying, "Well, we don't want to promote that on our platform, so you can't you can't share that. We're, we've taken that post down, or we've put a little fact check, um, you know, note next to that post." Mm-hmm. And you have them doing it to the president of the United States, and and this is not a political statement here. This is more of a: Do we really want that? Do we really want media companies? Yeah. You know, so in any case, it's a it's a good question. But um, yes, let's let's get into a little bit. Yeah. What what is free speech? Is it is it a good thing? Is it and and why is it good? If it is good, well, it, it certainly seems that our 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 the founders of our country thought it was a pretty important thing when they made the the very first amendment mm-hmm. <laughs> that was embedded within the Constitution was the right to free speech, and that's been necessarily and understandably um, qualified in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the famous standard of you don't have the freedom to stand up in a crowded theater and yell fire when there's no fire. Sure. You are liable. You are legally responsible for bad things that happen if you cause a panic in a, in a crowded theater by yelling fire. So it's not an absolute right mm-hmm. in that sense. But... Um, it does seem like from at least our founding as a nation, mm-hmm. that was a pretty important thing. And so um, it seems like even just on a secular level, that's something we would want to protect. 
let alone on a biblical level, I, I, I would argue that— Yeah, the biblical argument we don't hear much for, for, for free speech, mostly because there, there weren't democracies, right? Right, right? There, there, was, right. there was no such thing. Um, but, but, but you want you're, you're going to make a case for one? Well, I think at a, at a minimum level— I think if you want to argue on on the front of the um, on the level of human flourishing, mm-hmm. I think a culture that values free speech is not only best for human flourishing, but is also best for the advance of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because if you get into context where speech is regulated, once you start giving that power to some sort, of, once that power exists by a governing authority, it it can easily be turned against the spread of the gospel. And, of course, we've seen that throughout history. I mean, it's true today in certain parts of the world. You cannot freely share the gospel in certain parts of the world. Sure. Now, that doesn't mean the gospel can't spread. It does. But if we as Christians are ultimately wanting to see the advance of the gospel, it would make sense that we would want to advocate for context where free speech is valued, prioritized, and protected. Yeah, I, I'd add to that, and I feel I feel like I've mentioned this three or four times on the podcast already. <laughs> you have, but it's um, good. But uh, but if you get an opportunity, and I'll link it in the show notes, John Stuart Mill's second chapter on liberty. It's seven thousand words. It's not a big read, but one of one of the things he argues argues for in free speech is that um, no one has a right to shut down another person or silence their speech because the possibility that you are wrong exists. We need that humility. And hearing diverse viewpoints will, in fact, make our arguments better or will change our mind. Yeah. Okay, so here, here's, here's, the, here's the question, though. Yeah. How do we push back, then, against this current cultural tide? And we see it on college campuses. Sure. Where the number one priority is we must— uh, that students must be made to feel safe. That's the number one overriding. If a student doesn't feel safe based on some sort of view being presented in the classroom or in some other common space in the culture, or whether you have a uh, a speaker coming in from the outside that has completely opposite views of you on a cultural or political or social or even religious issue. The immediate response in many quarters is, I don't feel safe when that person's here. And it's like, okay, it's shut down. We can't have that person on campus because we have some percentage of students who don't feel safe. Yeah, uh, and this is where I think we need to begin educating um, on free speech. Like, I, I don't think we need to do enough to educate it. Like, diverse viewpoints are a good thing that cause us to think creatively and cause us to think differently um, to get to better conclusions. Uh, and so I, th- I think part of it is education at a, at a, in, in a broad sense. Mm-hmm. I think also when those types of conversations come up, I think there's a tendency, or at least there's a perceived tendency, to be very confrontational and very direct towards those people. And I find that very unhelpful. <laughs> um, so I'm like, you're yes. just making their point. You know? uh, so I think um, unwavering kindness um, uh, uh, keeping their keeping your cool and keeping my cool in the midst of those moments, and and continuing to exercise free speech until you're I mean just removed. And and I think believing what 
uh, I believe it's Aristotle would have said that that the truth has a distinct advantage among an educated populace. Um, and and if that is true, the, the truth will out, you know. I want to believe that, John. <laughs> I really want to believe that. Yeah, this but is I'm, where we get into you're a bit more skeptical, I'm a bit more optimistic. Yeah. But I'm just not seeing it. <laughs> and I think that um, I, I think while Aristotle is onto something, mm-hmm. I think that from a biblical perspective, that statement tends to underplay the role that sin has on us recognizing and acknowledging and then conforming to truth. Because those are all three different things. Sure. You can recognize something is true, but not acknowledge it. You mm-hmm. can acknowledge something is true, but not conform your life to it. What ultimately you want is a society where people do all three sure. and conform their life to the truth. But, and this might be going too deep dive on the theology end of things, but um, you know when you look at Romans 1, basically Romans 1 says, what is known about God is evident in creation, his power, mm-hmm. his, his wisdom, his skill, all those sorts of things are evident in creation and humanity suppresses the truth mm-hmm. in unrighteousness. So that's not to be taken as, okay, we just give up. No, we as Christians are people of the truth. We are people who should be pursuing truth, proclaiming truth, and not just in the sort of narrow biblical sense, yeah. but in the broad world of the uh, that God has made. What is we, going to be best for the humans to flourish, regard, regardless of uh, religious creed? Yeah. Yes. But when you live in a culture where what matters less is truth than simply what a person wants Mm -hmm. to be true, where you can just declare yourself to be something that you are clearly and empirically not, Mm -hmm. and and, and the culture expects you to accept that, when we live in that kind of culture, that's where I have a harder time um, hearing Aristotle's words and thinking— yeah, if we just get the truth out there, that, that that'll that'll fix it. That'll that'll help. Yeah, and and um, I, I qualified the truth will be out there. An educated populace, you know, I, I think it requires a certain, even a certain kind of education. I think that's the key point there. Yes. A certain kind of education, because much of the education of the most educated people only undermines the truth mm-hmm. and presents a postmodern view of the world where truth is what you make it. Truth is is an assertion of power rather than truth is what conforms to reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think I agree with everything you said theologically, biblically. I don't think that necessarily changes the way we go about things, right? I, I still think we got to declare the truth, speak the truth, um, and, and do so in a way that uh, 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 doesn't make us the spectacle. Agreed. And I think that part of the challenge becomes communicating the truth and showing others in the most sort of winsome way possible how their view of the world doesn't match reality Mm -hmm. and that they cannot live it consistently and that they actually don't. That they might say they think or believe something, but when you actually press them on how they live— they don't live that way. They live in, in accordance with the truth of reality, right? Yeah. So you can be adamant that 
gravity is a social construct created by white privilege in, 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 in the Middle Ages kind of thing. Yeah, I have not heard that argument. <laughs> but, but, but I know you're being, you're being hyperbolic. Being little, yes. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Gravity still has its effect whether you believe it's a social construct or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not to dive too deep into this, but there were whole Twitter threads within the last couple of weeks of actually two plus two can equal five in certain circumstances. And to say two plus two equals four is a sign of privilege. And yeah, and, and I think those people are, are not living in accordance with even even the broadest understanding of truth. Yeah, um, and and I think their life will show. Like, but you the, have educated people, educated in the sense of they have degrees from well, higher ed- education institutions. I'm willing to bet they're not accountants. <laughs> well, no, they're not. Of course, or, not. or finance people. Like, but there were some math people actually. There were math teachers hmm. in that conversation. Well, in this context, like, no, 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 no. Anyway, all right, we got to move on. I'm getting too salty again. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think it's a conversation worth having, and, it is. and something that, frankly, I think I think our campus needs to have more. Um, but uh, but let's move on. You ready to move on to yeah, our to our athlete? Yep. Okay. Um, number thirty-two. We have a number of athletes. Yes, we, we have a, uh, a a an embarrassment of riches when it comes yeah. to potential number 32. Yeah, anything you can think of to to communicate a multitude, a plethora, a smorgasbord, a cornucopia, a cornucopia um, a- any of those would work for our number of athletes here today. So let me run through them um, just, to, just to get them off the list. Uh, Magic Johnson is up there. Shaquille O'Neal. Carl Malone. Those are basketball players. Yep. Um, Jim Brown, of course, the, the great uh, uh, Cleveland Running back? Yep. Um, turned actor. Uh, Marcus Allen, um, who I believe replaced O.J. Simpson, correct? Who's our next, next athlete. Did Marcus Allen replace O.J. Simpson um, at USC? I don't remember how closely. I think there might have been a little bit more of a gap between them, but pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but O.J. Simpson also wore 32. Yep. And then finally, our lone baseball player, Sandy yeah. Koufax, yeah. wore 32. Yep. That's a lot of names. It is. And, and, and then you got a few got Ohio State two players. Two Ohio State players, uh, both on the defensive side. Um, Jack Tatum is a linebacker in the late 60s, National Defensive Player of the Year in 1970, and uh, two-time national champ. He was – he's probably outside of Ohio State circles, best known for the fact that he – uh, because of a hit he put on a receiver, Daryl Stingley, Stingley was paralyzed for the rest of his life. Hmm. And so that was uh, an unfortunate way that, that yeah. Jack Tatum, he was a fierce defend, defensive player. I mean, just a violent hitter. But that was the norm in that day, right? Yeah, and, and football's a dangerous game. I mean, it, it happened to Ryan Shazier a few yeah. years ago. I mean, you could get heart disease yeah. playing this game. I mean, yeah. there's a number of things. Wow. And then uh, <laughs> Niall Diggs was a linebacker in the late 90s who was a pretty good player for the Buckeyes. But all right. We had a little bit of pre-show conversation about— Because there were so many. Yeah, there's too many. So do, how do you want to do this? Um, well, let's let's kind of walk through who we eliminated okay. initially. Um, our first elimination was easy. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. When you eliminate other people from the planet, you get we eliminated from, from our list. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, we also thought that Marcus Allen wasn't necessarily up to yeah. the level of the rest of them. Yep. Um, 
Let's see. We then we then got rid of Carl Malone. Yeah, um, one of the great power forwards in NBA history. Sure, but played in Utah, not necessarily on the national uh, radar that much. Well, and never never managed to break through with a uh, NBA championship. Yeah. Lost to the Bulls twice. And um, then was he? No, no, he wasn't. Um, and then uh, and then we got rid of Shaquille O'Neal, which that which, was a harder call. That, but... that one hurt me on the inside because I grew up watching Shaq. He was unreal. And, I mean, he was such a force of nature that it was it was hard to imagine. Uh, but I, And then I, that brings I, us down to Jim Brown yeah, and uh, Magic Johnson and Sandy Koufax. We yeah. had Sandy Koufax. We eliminated Sandy yeah. um, because I personally never saw him play. And I'm not even sure I've seen footage. So, so yeah, down to Magic and, uh, and Jim Brown. Magic Johnson transformed the point guard position in the NBA. Um, was a he and Larry Bird together basically saved the NBA through the eighties, yeah. And uh, he had an uh, infectious personality, and what we didn't know is ended up having an infectious disease as well. Yeah. <laughs> but he on the a, smile he had it seemed like he had more teeth than anybody else yeah. like his smile is so so big what was notable though is that his rookie season i think he the lakers won the nba title mm-hmm. and in the clinching game in the nba finals the the center for the lakers went down so they moved magic to center and he had like 35 points and a bunch of rebounds like he's a point guard playing center yeah but he was 69 so that was yeah, he, he was a remarkable basketball player. Uh, and then Jim Brown. Yeah. Probably way ahead of his time as far as a running back. Yeah, he was the um, all-time leading rusher in NFL history. For a number of years. For a number of years. He used to um, use his arm like crow. Like guys would run into him, he use his arm like a crowbar and just pry them off. When you see the old NFL films footage, it looks like a grown man playing against junior high kids at points. Yeah. Where I mean, these smaller players are just bouncing off of him like he, like nothing. And uh, he left football early, yeah. and became an actor. Yep. Um, and that'll lead into the one thing I like because okay. um, because of remembering uh, Jim Brown's acting career. And but, he's become a social activist, very outspoken in terms of issues of uh, of race and culture. And so we did not decide beforehand. We did we? not. I, who do you want to go with? I'm more on the Jim Brown side of things. Let's do it. Okay. That'll make Nate in Ohio happy anyway. Okay. Yes, that's why this podcast exists, to make Nate in Ohio happy. Absolutely. Um, all right. So the one thing we liked. Yeah. I'm going to go first. Okay. Uh, Jim Brown uh, <laughs> okay. was in a movie that I watched as a child called Dirty Dozen, and okay. I think I've seen it four or five times. It is a classic, classic movie. I'm racing through my mind right now trying to remember if there's anything inappropriate in there. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents let me watch it when I was a kid, so I don't think so. Yeah, but or at least a cable version of it. That's, have, you, have you had that happen? Where you've oh only gosh, seen the cable yeah. version of a movie, and then you see like the unedited version. You're like, oh my gosh, there's all this content I didn't under didn't know about, and <laughs> I can't recommend this movie anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so the Dirty Dozen uh, with Jim Brown. Okay. So my one thing is my uh, remarkable wife, Kate has spent much of the last couple of weeks 
making a t-shirt quilt. Are you familiar with the with these, with this idea? I am. I'm familiar with companies okay. that you send them their, your t-shirts yes. and make quilts out of them. Yeah. So for our younger son, Jake, uh, he has all these um, basketball shirts from elementary school all the way up through high school. And even in his, he just this last year finished his first year here at Grace. And so um, what you do is you cut out squares from these T-shirts that have like the graphics on it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you sew that together into a quilt. And so my wife has been slaving away at that. So she, for last she did it herself. Year. She did it all by herself. That's awesome. Yes. And so um, it's it's really remarkable. And it's a fun trip down memory lane just to sort of look at all the different T-shirt yeah. squares and that kind of stuff. Um, so I was unaware it's Kate amazing. had that skill set. What's that? I was unaware Kate had that skill set. She does. Huh. She does. She's crafty. She's sneaky crafty. Sneaky crafty. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I don't know what we're ultimately going to title this episode, but it might involve the word salt. In any case, we have, we, we have certainly, uh, I'm ready to say mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. In a horrifying sense. Yeah. Mission yeah. accomplished. Yeah. I've so. never been more scared of you in my life. <laughs> You've, you've seen me during an Ohio State football game. Come on. Yeah, one, and I haven't been back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, we are calling it Mission Accomplished, and therefore, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.